Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us on episode 26 of Health Talk with Dr. Kell. I'm Nikki Sterner. This week, we are bringing in one of our favorite guests, Ted Hahn, a clinical nutritionist, to discuss digestion with Dr. Kell. Dr. Kell interviewed Ted back on podcast number 17. If you missed that one, you'll want to go back and listen to that as well. Ted is a passionate health advocate who was amazed at how quickly the body responded to good food and good exercise. He worked in pharmaceuticals for 10 to 12 years, but found his passion and love in clinical nutrition and helping doctors and their practices understand how to implement nutrition to improve the health of their patients on a long-term basis. He's been in the field for over 30 years. As a clinical nutritionist, his favorite simple rule is, if it didn't have fins, feather, fur, or grow out of the earth, don't eat it. And guess what Ted told us last time? One of the first things to cut out of your diet to improve your health is sugar, sugar and hard alcohols. Last week, we finished a four-part series called Sugar Inside and Outside the Body, where we talked about the inflammation that sugar causes inside the body and how it affects your gut, liver, brain, and skin. Digestion is a person's capacity to break down food into substances that can be used by the body. We don't really think about it much until we're having problems with it. Lucky for... Lucky for us, okay, let me start that section over again. We don't really think about it much until we're having problems with it. Lucky for us, Ted is going to share information to help get our digestion back on track. He compares your body to building a home. You wanna build a home to last with the best materials. Food is what builds and repairs the body, so you wanna feed it healthy foods. All right, let's get into the interview. This is Dr. Kell, and we're here today with Ted Hahn. He's back. We loved him so much the first time that we're having him back again. And today, we're going to talk about digestion, right, Ted? We are. We are. Uh, and, and what does that cover, Ted, from oral facial opening all the way to the anus? Yes, and uh, everything in between. We're going to make a few detours to the liver and the gallbladder, because that's part of the digestive process as well. But yeah, we're going to go from uh, the top to the bottom and even discuss what comes out. Well, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. You know, I, I not, I, I, as well as I know, every, our listeners know a lot about how to put things in and how to get things out, but they don't know a lot, a whole, whole lot in between. So Ted's nope. here to explain it to us and help to help us to improve our health. So take it away, Ted. Thank you. Um, thanks for inviting me back. I guess I did something right the first time. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so a good way to think about digestion is to um, use a construction analogy. So. If we had unlimited financial resources and a few acres of beautiful, pristine land someplace we really wanted to live and we could build the house of our dreams on it. You know, I'll, I used to ask patients in clinical practice, what type of house would you build? What type of materials would you use? And you'd be amazed at the things they'd come up with. Oh, I would use African ironwood for the beams. And I would have a slate roof and you know, I would use the, the finest materials if money was no object, I could possibly get my hands on because I want that house to last forever. I want to pass it on to my children. I want it to be in my family for everyone to use that can benefit from it. And it won't be unless I build it the best possible way I can. I said, good. Do you ever think that way about your body? Blank stare. So the reason I use that analogy is because food is what we use to build and repair our body. So in my past as a competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter, as dumb as we may have been with other subjects, we certainly understood that if you're going to build a body with an extraordinary physique or extraordinary strength, you had to put in really good food because food is the basis on which your body rebuilds. 
So you can't regenerate new cells, whether it's your eyes or your hair or your kidney or your liver or your skin, whatever the case may be, the quality and structural integrity of that cellular material that makes up the organ systems and tissues that become your whole body as a, as a harmonious functioning unit, all those things are based on the quality of the food you put in that body. That food is converted into nutrients and then those nutrients are used to build and repair cellular material and that is your body and microcosm. Oh, wait a minute, Ted. Now, a lot of our listeners are going to be confused now, especially as I am, because I thought if I lived on refined sugar and processed foods, I could live to be 90, 100 years old. Is that not true? Parts of you will. But... Parts of you. <laughs> you you're, you're telling not me your it will help to mummify me when I die. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, okay. So our body has very basic needs. It needs fats, it needs carbohydrates, it needs proteins. Those are called our macronutrients. Can you explain a little bit just what those are? We've talked a little bit about it in the past, but a lot of people don't understand the difference. Yeah, yeah. So in, in common everyday terms, you can think of protein as muscle tissue of animals of various sorts. Beef, fish, fowl, animals that we're eating. We're eating their muscle tissue or sometimes their organ tissue. That's there's, protein, there's protein in vegetables. There is, well, right? there is. So meat, Contrary to popular belief, is not your only source of protein. It's it's one source. Um, you can get lots of protein from different types of vegetables by combining various types of vegetables. And you know, it used to be thought that that protein was of inferior quality. Now we're understanding that it's really not. It's different combinations of amino acids that serve different functions in the body for building different things, repairing different things. But ideally, you know, it's it's good to get a wide variety of proteins, not just stick to one So kind. the amino acids are really what make up the protein. There's yeah, several exactly. different types of amino acids and the combinations of those create different types of protein. Sure. Yep. Very good. Excellent. We need carbohydrates. You can think of carbohydrates as your fuel or your gasoline. We um, derive our energy from the cellular metabolism of glucose or blood sugar. That comes from carbohydrates. We often hear people speak of sugars and carbohydrates together as if they're the kind of the same thing and and they are to an extent and when we talk about sugars we're not necessarily talking about sugar in a sugar bowl white sugar we can be talking about short and long chain carbohydrates of various different sorts because when they're all broken down by digestion they become various types of sugars and that's kind of a collective term so all sugars not bad processed white refined sugar that you get in uh, carbonated drinks, you know, candies, uh, pastries, things like that. That's not the good kind we, of sugar. We spent the last four podcasts talking about that good stuff and how, how terrible it is for your body. So, yeah, so exactly. Very good. Good addition so, to that. Just to, to simplify things, you know, the best source of carbohydrates are vegetables, fruits, complex carbohydrates like yams and beans and legumes and brown rice and wild rice, things like that. And you don't need a whole lot of them. That's the biggest problem in in our culture, in our country, is that we eat way too much gasoline, so to speak, too much fuel, and not enough, well, we probably eat a lot, enough proteins as well, we probably eat enough fats as well, but we eat an overwhelmingly large amount of carbohydrates. In other words, it's not in the proper proportion to the fats and the proteins that we eat. So, it should be less than a third of our, of our diet when it's probably 50 to 60, probably 75% of the diet of many people. Yeah, absolutely. And so an interesting thing takes place. We used to think back in our early bodybuilding days that you could eat as much sugar as you want because sugar wouldn't make you fat. It's like, there's no fat in sugar. Sugar can't make you fat. Sure it can. This is, <laughs> this is how it makes you fat. Imagine that the next time you're filling up your car and you put the gas nozzle in the gas tank, once the gas tank is filled up, instead of the gasoline spraying out of the, 
the nozzle all over your feet, your car just builds another gas tank and you start filling that one. That's kind of what happens when you eat too much sugar. If you eat beyond your energy needs, the hormone insulin secreted by your pancreas starts storing that sugar. So you're building little extra gas tanks because you're not shutting the it's gas It's the off. rubber tire around your, uh, I call it a tire instead of a gas tank, but the rubber tire around your middle. Yeah. Or the, or the rear end grows a little larger than you want it to or... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's so on and so forth. That's kind of how that works. Um, so, to recap, we need proteins to build, we need carbohydrates to supply fuel for activity, and we need fats for structural integrity: hair, skin, nails, um, integrity of the organ walls, the the fat we have in our body as cushioning, so the organs aren't bouncing all over the place while we're moving about. Fat's absolutely necessary. We can't make hormones without fat, for instance. But good fat, right? Good fat, yes. So, just like good good carbohydrates or good sugars, we need good fats. Exactly. There's there's poor fats out there that people are eating along with the poor sugars. Yeah. So think about it this way: every single cell in your body, doesn't matter what kind of cell it is, it's made up. The cell wall is made up of a bilipid layer of proteins. So in nutritional speak, lipids are fats. So all your cells, the cell wall is basically made of two little layers of fat. And so if you are injured and you're trying to rebuild tissue. Um, think of it down to a cellular level. If you're not supplying healthy fats that the body can metabolize to build new cells, you're going to have a problem. So that's, that's how we've come to realize that things like fish oils are really great in the context of repairing uh, aging and damaged tissues. You can't really do it if you're not consuming some form of healthy fats. And, you know, contrary to what a lot of people might think, Butter is also a healthy fat. Let me explain why. You can't metabolize vitamin A, vitamin E, vitamin D, and vitamin K, which are all fat-soluble vitamins, if you're not eating fats. And if your liver and your gallbladder, which we touched on briefly earlier, aren't helping you metabolize those fats and convert them into useful products. And that again, your body good can use. fats. If you're eating, what, what, what's considered a bad fat? What's, what, what's some of the stuff that we consume that's that your body's not really utilizing or? using sure. properly or, or diminishes the use of those Well, the, the worst thing you can eat is what are called trans fats. And everyone's heard that term. Not too many people What foods do those come from or are those altered they're or in almost synthesized everything. or are those in, made in a lab? What, what, where do those come from? They're in pastries, they're in breads, they're in basically all your prepared refined foods that are in the middle of the grocery store that come in plastic, cardboard, or cells. So again, packages. the processed foods, which we've talked about in the past, not only do they contain, contain all the refined sugar, but they contain the altered fats that aren't good for us as well. Yeah, and so what those altered fats do is they bind to what are called receptor sites on your cell walls. That's kind of, for the sake of an analogy, like a, like a lock that you stick a key in. So various nutrients bind to these receptor sites and they gain access to the nucleus of the cells and kind of tell it what to do. So what these trans fats do is they bind to the cellular receptor sites for healthy fats and then when the healthy fats come in and try and bind to the cell wall, they can't because the receptor sites are plugged up by trans fats. So you can't utilize good fats if you're eating bad fats. Oh. And it's by law, everything, is, everything that has trans fats in it is labeled as such. So it's pretty easy to spot the stuff and so if you see it on the label, keep walking. Yeah, yep, yep. You do not want trans fats. And the great majority of food manufacturers now don't, I shouldn't say the great majority, a lot of them that are conscious of trends um, are not using them anymore, but there's still a lot out there. More and more people are not eating them, therefore they're changing because they want to sell our products. Exactly. Well, they're, they're texturizing agents. They make things taste better. They give them a creamy texture. They make them pleasant to be in the mouth. And we all know for human beings, eating is an emotional experience. And the happier the experience is, the more you buy. 
<laughs> so Absolutely. There's a clue as to what's behind all that. It's the Western diet and why we're getting all these diseases as we get older. Yeah. Um, the other thing, now that we've covered our macronutrients, we have uh, micronutrients, which are vitamins and minerals and individual amino acids and things like that. And, you know, the, the thing I often tell clinicians that are working to incorporate nutrition into their practice is that you can give patients the best supplements and the best food in the world, but if they don't have the machinery to metabolize it, or in other words, convert it into useful forms the body can use, you're kind of dead in the water. And so when we are using nutrition to address other problems outside the digestive realm, inflammation, uh, tissue repair from injury, mitigating the effects of viruses and bacteria and things like that that make us sick, all the things we try to do with nutrition comes back down to a basic premise. If the digestive system isn't in top functioning order, then the ability of the digestive system to utilize those nutrients that you're trying to use to repair other things is going to be suboptimal. It's not going to work as good as it could. Before you get into the details, <clears throat> let me just um, say, and maybe you can mention, tell me as, you know, or, or Eric, or, you know, we, we all know a little bit, you know, as a doctor of chiropractic, I probably know more than the average person, but <clears throat> if I'm just clueless as to to my body and, and, and don't think much about it, how do I know my gut screwed up? What <laughs> symptoms am I going to have? What, the, what are common? The most common symptom that almost everybody has, regardless of how healthy they are at one time or another, is bloating after they eat a meal. And there's a, a very simple, easy to understand reason why that happens. So in our stomach, when I say gut, when I use that terminology, so, so, I'm referring to the intestines. So, so bloating, that's different than, oh, I ate too much, I feel full. Yes, yes. Bloating isn't necessarily associated with how much you're eating. People often say when they feel bloated, when I eat, I feel like my food sits in my stomach for four hours. You know, I'm not, if I eat breakfast, I'm not hungry again until three in the afternoon. Or if I eat lunch, I'm not hungry till seven or eight at night. It feels like my food just sits there. And after a while, they get that that tightness right below the breastbone where you have this, this curvature to the abdomen. And when you touch it, it feels tight, like there's a basketball in there. And you know the, the common term for that is, is bloating. And what's actually happening is you know, when we get stomach bloating, the issue is we didn't have enough hydrochloric acid and pepsin, which are our primary digestive enzymes, to digest everything into a liquid. So in order for everything to go south, it has to be a liquid. You can't pass solids from your stomach into your intestinal system. And you know, to, to clarify something real quick, digestion is the process of making big things smaller so that ultimately they can fit into a capillary and the capillaries can carry those nutrients to every cell in the body. So you the have capillaries to are little tiny blood vessels. Yeah, your, your tiniest blood vessels. They're the ones that in the end distribute the nutrients you eat to all the tissues and of the body. those are the ones that line the intestines and the stomach and there's capillaries everywhere. Yeah, All yeah. the way through. So they're, you, you, all the way through, you, you can take in little small bits of nutrients from the time you put it in your mouth, really. Exactly. All the way to the other end. But once things get into the, the small and the large intestine, that's absorption. Digestion happens in the stomach. The stomach breaks things down into a liquid, takes big particles and makes them smaller and smaller and smaller by reducing them to a liquid, which is called chyme. And then that flows into the small intestine and then the process of extracting all the nutrients in that liquid starts taking place. The other thing that comes to mind is uh, mastication. Uh, the significance of mastication uh, is there, right? When you first put it in your mouth, that's part of the digestive process as well. It is because, again, digestion is the process of making 
large chunks of food, smaller chunks. So you of need food. to chew it up. You need to chew it up very well. And well, how is that going to make a difference when you swallow it? Well, now we're going to talk about poo for a minute. Um, <laughs> Everybody loves to talk about poo. They do. And you ever you ever notice? I mean, I don't, I don't care who they are. Everyone does this. You. Um, you have a bowel movement, you briefly take a look at it to make sure everything's okay. That is a natural human response to that. Now, because of that, everyone at one time or another has seen things in their poo they shouldn't see, like flecks of salad or nuts are a popular option. Different things. Corn, that, outside yeah, of corn. corn. So <laughs> what you're seeing is solid, undigested food in the stool. Now, do you think a corn kernel or a flake of salad the size of your fingernail can fit into a capillary? No. It cannot. So you're not going to be able to utilize the nutrients in those foods that weren't digested. So why does that happen? We go back to the stomach. Lack of hydrochloric acid and pepsin. That's the biggest problem that people have. And so we go back to bloating, which is our original question. If the food doesn't get digested into a liquid, it sits in the stomach. It's hot. It's moist. It starts to decay, ferment, and putrefy. That creates gas that pushes on the abdomen and gives the bloated feeling. And then there's the burping and the belching and the That leads the to the... Uh... To the reflex. Yes. And if I could touch on that briefly, because there's a lot of confusion about that, especially with MDs. Um, <laughs> That's it. You can say that word in here. We're okay with MDs as long as they uh, uh, um, get off the uh, drug train and, and think that, that the pharmaceuticals are the answer to everything. Yeah. So I'll state now that MD does not stand for mentally defective. Um, <laughs> but here's the problem we Ted run into. Ted said that. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a problem we run into when we go see a gastroenterologist because we're getting bloated all the time and we have acid reflux. Well, what is acid reflux exactly? I talked about those foods sitting in the stomach that are fermenting and putrefying because they weren't turned into a liquid and are sitting there instead of going south the way they're supposed to go. So because those foods are decaying in the stomach, they create what are called organic acids pyruvic acid, lactic acid in a place you don't want it to be. And because there's gas pushing upward into the diaphragm, the patient is inclined to burp. And when they burp, the acid from this putrefaction is sitting on top of that festering mass of undigested food. It splashes up into the esophagus and burns them. And, and sometimes people say a little bit of food will come up with yeah. a burp, right? So yeah. another my, uh, sign is not digested. My young daughter used to call those yucky burps. So... <laughs> People have those all the time, and it hurts, it burns. So the problem is there's not enough of the right kind of acid and too much of the wrong kind of acid. So when the patient goes to their gastroenterologist, he says, well, you've got too much acid in your stomach. That's why you have acid reflux. We're going to give you an acid buffer. Like, uh, well, over the counter, we have Tums. We have things of that nature. And then I'm not supposed to mention brand names. And then we have... Um, it's okay here. <coughs> Prilosec and, and other things like that. <laughs> and what those do, there are a whole class of medications called proton pump inhibitors or PPIs. And what these do is they inhibit the production of hydrochloric acid in your stomach. But that's just the kind of acid you need. So what you're doing is you're actually perpetuating a problem and you are um, compromising your body's ability to create hydrochloric acid and digest your food. And once you start taking them, generally you have to take them all the time because what happens is as you reduce the hydrochloric acid in the stomach, the mucous membrane that lines the stomach walls that prevents the stomach from digesting itself get thinner and thinner and thinner because there's less and less acid there. So that means once you get off them and you start eating... Kind of like a callus in a way. Yes. You, you, yeah. So principle. they get off them and patients then are burned 
by the naturally occurring acid in their stomach and it just starts this vicious cycle of medication and acid reduction. What gastroenterologists don't understand is that there's a differentiation between good acid and bad acid and the reason things sit there or go north so to speak instead of south is because they weren't digested into a liquid because there wasn't enough hydrochloric acid in the stomach. So um, how do we fix that? There are products that contain hydrochloric acid and pepsin, but they also contain the building blocks for hydrochloric acid, like ammonium chloride. Sounds like a cleaning solvent, but it's not. It's actually in the green leaves of plants. And that's a component of hydrochloric acid. If you listen to the name, hydrochloric acid. What builds hydrochloric acid? Um, ammonium chloride in plants. Sodium chloride and salt. You wonder why humans salt their food? It's not just for taste. Salt is a chloride. Your body uses that as a building block to build hydrochloric acid. So salt, in moderation, is a bit of a digestive aid because it lends to the process of making hydrochloric acid. So, in short, that's why people have bloating. Um, not enough hydrochloric acid. So, once food gets into the intestinal system, um, then the process of extracting all those amino acids and minerals and nutrients and proteins and carbs and fats begins. Fats are metabolized by um, various different uh, enzymes and biochemicals that come from the liver and the gallbladder. Uh, they're what's called emulsified. And what that means is the fats are broken up into smaller pieces, again, so they can be absorbed by the capillary system and used. Can, can I say something there? So in the stomach, um, your food... Your food starts to digest in your mouth by chewing it up, and you, you got some stuff in your mouth that helps to digest things too. But it, really, the most most of it takes place in the stomach. Now, the stomach acids, the hydrochloric acid, that's that's dissolving carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, all three of them as well. Yes, but the pancreas also helps out by secreting enzymes that are specific to various types of carbohydrates or sugars. And okay. the liver will secrete bile. So once, the once it leaves the stomach, fats. it's been liquefied in the stomach. Right. But it needs to be broken down more for the body to use, utilize it. So therefore, exactly. what comes out of the liver and the gall goes from the liver to the gallbladder and then into your uh, uh, duodenum or your upper intestine there, then it's broken down more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, here's the most important part of all. Just about everybody's heard of probiotics or beneficial bacteria. And some people take it, some people don't, some people don't even know what they are. They're very important. We have actually more species of bacteria, fungi, and yeasts in our intestinal system than we have cells in our entire body. I, I, I read an article recently, and I'd kind of forgotten this number, 10 trillion? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's almost like a separate organ system. And so then the question is, okay, well, what do they do? This is really, really important. Um, we're finding out new things about gut bacteria and yeast and fungi every day and what they do what they do they they compete in a process called biotransformation so as an example beneficial gut bacteria will take those various different vitamins minerals nutrients proteins carbs fats etc etc or components of them and convert them by various biological actions into substrates that the body can readily use so let's say you're missing saccharomyces yeast. Okay, that's a beneficial species of yeast that lives in the human gut. If you're missing that, then you lack a defensive system against other forms of bacteria and yeast that build what's called a biofilm in the gut to prevent the immune system from destroying them and taking them out. So there's a balance that has to be achieved. And when you achieve this proper balance, then you're able to utilize all the nutrients you're eating. And that's not really new, but kind of new. You know, we knew that 
Um, bacteria make lactic acid, and lactic acid in the gut is actually lactic acid in a good place because it's kind of antimicrobial and it prevents the bad guy bacteria from taking hold and they don't like it and you want kind of an acidic gut and good bacteria create that acidity in the intestinal system so the bad guys don't like it and the good guys do. But that process of biotransformation is also very important and that's what we're now learning more and more about. For instance, there's two species of bacteria that convert an inactive form of vitamin K to an active form that your body can actually use. And there was a couple of companies that were making K2 and the FDA got all hot and bothered with them because they said, you don't need to make K2. K1 is converted to K2 by gut bacteria. One of the few intelligent things the FDA has ever said. So <laughs> they find this company and they stop making it. But they did bring out an excellent point, which is you need a good, healthy culture of gut bacteria to convert your vitamins, minerals, and nutrients into forms that your body can readily use. So that's another important part of digestion, or I should say at this point, assimilation. Digestion's in the stomach. Absorption and assimilation is in the intestinal system, and it's the bacteria that take over at that point that really make everything um, what we call bioavailable to the cells of the body in a state they can actually use. So if you're missing large swaths of bacterial population that you should have, which most Americans are, you're going to have a hard time making good use of all that good food and supplementation you're taking. So it's really important in the whole process of, of digestion to make sure that there's a lot of good cultures of bacteria down there as well to help with the assimilation and utilization process because digesting it into liquids only the first part of this. Well, you bring up a good point too, and we've talked about this in the past in some of the other podcasts about what causes all this, and, and it is the Western diet and all the processed foods and all the high sugar foods and, and wrong fats, wrong sugars. Um, even We could probably even say they're doing more research to discover which proteins from which sources are the best for the body. There, there may be some out there too, or having too much uh, meat protein uh, or red meat protein and other things that all, all these things combined. You need to really educate yourself because if you don't and that gets messed up, all the other diseases start developing. And what are some of the other things? You got bloating and reflux. What are some other signs that your gut just isn't functioning right? Well, you have the whole collection of itis diseases, diverticulitis, ulcerative colitis, etc., etc., um, celiac disease. So um, we can really go down a rabbit hole with this. We've got to be careful. Um, these diseases come about as the byproducts of what we call pathogenic or bad guy bacteria. The, the, the other thing that we've mentioned and talked about a little bit in the past, it's not just issues in the gut. You can have issues in your brain. You can have issues from all issues over your body from, from the dysfunction of the gut. You know, you may be sensing those things and those are obvious signs. Hey, I, I, I went to the doctor and he says I have colitis. You know, their ways of treating that are different than the alternative ways that we might treat it in our office and in other alternative healthcare facilities. And they take a different slant as how to, how to treat it, just like with the acid in the stomach. And, you know, we have no problem here mentioning, you know, standard process and, and some of their supplements. And they're not the only ones out there. But but I'd like Ted to mention one of the biggest things. What's, what's the great acid one you guys have for balancing your acid in your stomach? Uh, it is called Zypan. And Zypan is a combination of hydrochloric acid and pepsin and ammonium chloride, which is a hydrochloric acid building block, so you don't have to take the product forever. You can eventually start making your own, um, which is the objective, not to take supplements for the rest of your life, but to return your body to a state where it can do everything it's supposed to do on its own. Then again, you know, granted the quality of most of the food we have available to us today, uh, it's probably not a good idea to try to go 
in the absolutely no supplement direction because you're just going to be lacking some things you really need. But getting back to your question about uh, these intestinal diseases, the itises and the things of that nature, if we go back a little bit to the stomach and remember hydrochloric acid, hydrochloric acid is very important for this reason as well. By brilliant design, um, pathogenic bacteria are very susceptible to death from hydrochloric acid. It, it kills them. Probiotic bacteria, the kind that are supposed to inhabit our gut and make us healthy, are naturally resistant to hydrochloric acid, so they survive human gut acidity. Now, if your gut acidity is too low, what could lower gut acidity, Ted? Stress. That does it more than anything else. Stress, hard alcohol, black coffee on an empty stomach first thing in the morning. <laughs> those, when you, when you say lower, you mean it's actually raising the pH. It's making, or, or are you saying you're becoming more acidic, acidic? No, you're becoming less acidic. In the context of hydrochloric acid in your stomach, you're doing what's called down-regulating it. You're reducing yeah, you, its production. You, you want a low pH. What's, do you know what the average pH in the, in the stomach is? Is it about three, three and a half? Right around there, yeah. Yeah, and so, so if that gets raised... Um, I always think of alkaline water, uh, and, and, and we've talked about that in the past, too. You're not a big supporter of alkaline water, I assume. I don't support it they, at all. They, uh, um, but uh, anything that's going to raise the pH it, it, when it comes to digestion is a bad thing. Right, and here's why. Okay, here's why. There's always a why. If you raise the pH of your stomach by drinking alkaline water or doing other things like taking Tums, uh, you don't kill the bad bacteria you eat in your food. And your food always has some degree of bad bacteria in it. It's always there. You're never going to get rid of all of it. Um, you know, people say, oh, there's no bacteria in our food. We don't live in a third world country. Yes, we, <laughs> not, no, we don't. But I mean, our food still has bacteria in it. You want to soak it in chlorine food. before you eat it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so if your levels of hydrochloric acid are low because you're on acid-reducing drugs or you're stressed out all the time or you're drinking way too much because you're stressed out all the time. When you eat those pathogenic bacteria, they get a free pass into the intestinal system. There's not enough hydrochloric acid to kill them. Then you get Crohn's and celiac and diverticulitis and all the ulcerative colitis, all these other itis diseases. Itis just means inflammation. Um, and those occur in different areas of the intestine, correct? Yeah, diverticulitis, for example, is kind of these little out pooching sacks in the lower colon that uh, contain pathogenic the colon bacteria is closer to your rectum it's 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 down yeah. at the at the past large intestine the, so you got just, yeah. just for people to understand you've got your mouth and the esophagus goes into your stomach comes out of your stomach into the small intestine and you got many feet of small intestine which then feeds into your large intestine which feeds to your colon and out the other end yep a good synopsis <laughs> so, so different segments of that get damaged because of what's happening. Exactly, exactly. You, we hear uh, the term SIBO all the time, S-I-B-O. That stands for small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. It's a simple way of saying you have too many bad guys and not enough good guys. Um, how do we fix that? Well, ideally, we fix it by eating fermented foods, sauerkraut, kimchi, yogurt, and I don't mean the sugar-filled garbage they predominantly sell in the grocery stores that you could liquefy and give to hummingbirds. I mean, the really sour Greek and Bulgarian and Eastern European yogurts that to the average American taste horrible because they have so much lactic acid in them. They have lactic acid because there's a bunch of live bacteria cultures in there creating it. And so we think of lactic acid as being in our muscles when we work out and it's a bad thing. Yes, there it's not the greatest thing in the world, but in the gut, it's very beneficial. We want lots of lactic acid in the intestinal system and the yogurt and the sauerkraut and the fermented foods will help us to build that. That tart taste is from 
hydrochloric acid, or not hydrochloric acid, um, lactic acid, which is from live bacteria cultures being in that food because they create lactic acid by digesting different types of sugars. That's a very beneficial thing. That's the kind of stuff we want to be eating. Okay. Leaky gut. That's a good, that's a term that everybody's talking about now. Leaky gut. Sure. What is it? So it's a couple things. Um, again, it all goes back to the stomach. If you don't have enough hydrochloric acid in the stomach to be a gatekeeper against these pathogenic bacteria, that again, they get into the intestinal system and start causing problems. So when you have leaky gut, what does that mean exactly? The more precise term for it is an intestinal permeability. In other words, thing the gut's supposed to be when I say gut, I'm referring to the whole intestinal system. The gut is supposed to be a closed tubular absorption conduit for all your food. The big stuff to stay out and the, the, the tiny stuff can get in. Right, right. You Nothing should be able to get in through the intestinal wall and so screw up what's down going on in the intestine. Almost to a microscopic level. Right. So when we have intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome, we have the byproducts of pathogenic bacteria in the gut wall that reduce the integrity of the mucous membrane in the gut wall that keeps things on the outside Basically from coming in. Basically, the cells start coming apart and right. separating instead of staying together like a normal healthy cells would exactly. do. Exactly. Think of... Um, and that can even occur in the stomach, right? Where they start yeah. to separate in the stomach. Yeah. Too. So in the gut wall, there is beneath the surface of the, the layer of the gut wall, this is called epithelial tissue, there's a tightly woven fabric, like if you've ever looked at sheet fiberglass that they put on a surfboard. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's flexible, it's permeable, but you can't stick your fingers through it. Um, that's like the collagen structure on the inside of our intestinal walls. Think of collagen as serving the same purpose as rebar does in concrete, holds it together. So when we get these pathogenic bacteria in our gut, they start compromising the integrity of the gut wall and the collagen in the gut wall starts breaking down. So instead of having that tightly woven fabric, you have what starts to look microscopically like a fishnet stocking. And then things can start getting through because as that collagen starts to separate, the cells that sit on top of it that act as a barrier system from things getting in, they also start to separate too and pull apart because the structure underneath them is doing the same thing. So as the structure underneath moves, so the cells on top move, they start pulling apart. And then you have things you don't want from the outside getting in through the intestinal wall, and then you have things on the inside that may not be completely metabolized yet getting outside the gut wall, and then that can cause an allergic reaction because you have a, a protein existing in a place it should not be, which is outside the gut wall, and the body's saying, hey, this, this shouldn't be here. This isn't completely digested. Let's attack this and get rid of it. So basically, you have an immune response. Which exactly. we've talked about in some of our previous episodes on immunity. And, and then you've got all that system firing and you get chronic inflammation not only in the gut, but all over the body. Yeah. Actually, the gut's one of the biggest feeders of inflammation throughout the body. So you can have someone that comes in and says, you know what, uh, my gut's more or less fine, but my joints are all on fire. Nine times out of ten, the problem's in the gut. Gut's not fine. And that's... that's um, we call that a feeder mechanism. You have pathogenic bacteria in the gut causing inflammation. The gut, because of the capillary system within it and its distribution to the rest of the body, which is designed to get the nutrients there, also carries the inflammation there. So then I also should tell somebody that, you know, we talked initially about symptoms that might occur. You might not have bloating. You might not have reflux. Uh, you might not have pain in your stomach, but it doesn't mean that you're 
your uh, the bacteria in your in your intestinal tract isn't all screwed up so then there's an inflammatory process going on inside you and you're not sensing it until all your joints become inflamed or other parts of your body your muscles everything are affected so you may not necessarily feel the gut symptoms when you're having the gut problems just like we've talked about before you're really only aware of between three to five percent of anything going on in your body at any one time <laughs> yeah that's a good analogy yeah yeah you may talk to uh an older gentleman who's worked all his life he's a you know a, a robust guy is in decent shape and he says you know i'm only i'm only hungry once a day you know i i i'm not hungry till lunchtime and i eat a light lunch then i'm not hungry again usually until the next day i'm fine with that you know but when you think about that that's really insufficient to supply this guy's energy needs even though his metabolism slowed down he's older what's probably happening is his food's just still sitting in his stomach so he doesn't digestion he doesn't is have, so yeah. slow yeah he doesn't have gastric emptying so he feels full for six hours after he eats and he may not find that unpleasant to him, it's just an anomaly. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm not as hungry as I used to be. I He's malnourished and he doesn't know it. Exactly. So you have to be a bit of a detective when you talk to patients and ask them, well, how often are you hungry? How many bowel movements do you take a day? Can you bounce a quarter off your stomach after you eat, a, you know, a couple slices of pizza? Are you bloated? Do you have acid reflux? And you're going to get a lot of yeses to these questions because it's it's everywhere and well, everyone has this stuff ignore those symptoms too they have a little bit of this a little bit of that it, it's normal um and and in a way it has become normal because a major part of the population has these symptoms so everybody thinks oh that's just normal yeah but i, I wanted to mention too when we're talking about now solutions and and what to do about these things we'll, we'll mention products by standard process and other companies periodically we don't specifically promote them in the sense um but i do use them in the in in my practice and and so does my wife because we try to use the ones we found to be the best and many of these by standard process we found to be the best however having said that standard process along with other doctor uh, prescribed supplements should not be just for instance we mentioned zypan just don't go out and buy zypan now like so many things your problem needs to be evaluated you need to see a professional you need to see someone who knows and has learned what does what and and to be evaluate your problem properly so that you just don't throw things at it like you're shooting a shotgun and hopefully it does something you, you the things that we mentioned might help in and of themselves but in, and until you've been evaluated and proper properly learned what to do for you like how to help a leaky gut how to help the bloating how to how to you know to evaluate okay is it is it just a simple acid problem okay that might be easily fixed but you might have a whole lot of stuff going on from the front from from, from the mouth to the anus and everything needs to be worked on in in phases and in steps and can take if you're really messed up it can take months even years to heal help your body heal itself but you got to give it the right things and 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 ted is talking about those things yeah and you you hit the nail on the head and you know the question people never ask is um you know they go to let's go back to the gastroenterologist they go in there and say i'm bloated after meals i have acid indigestion you know that's what they used to say in the 70s now it's called acid reflux and the doctor says okay we're going to give you some Prilosec or whatever, and the patient says, okay, and he takes it for a while and he feels better. What the patient never asks and what the doctor never tells the patient is, well, why do you, why do I have acid reflux in the first place? I get the idea this isn't the way things are supposed to be. So you're giving me a drug for it, which is going to alter my physiology and it's going to make me feel better initially, but how come I have bloating in the first place? And a lot of times they can't get an answer to that question. So to greatly simplify things, even though I'm uh, a consultant in the nutritional industry, you know, the best way to fix these things is to eat better. Supplements are just that. They supplement 
what a good diet may be lacking. You've got to you've got to change things. You got to stop eating the processed foods. Yeah, and, and it, the high sugar foods and the cakes and the candies and you know and you know we've talked about it in the in the past too. None of us are perfect here. Every now and then we we you know like a little sweet here and there or or, or given to to things and and uh, your body if you're healthy well actually some people that are really healthy they take that stuff and it's like poison to them but uh, so you so you build up a tolerance to it if you're eating a lot of it however every now and then I, I I'm sure Ted would admit sometimes he doesn't always eat everything just as he knows he should we often know more and do less than we should than we know we should right indeed <laughs> yes, that happens. Yeah, uh, but we're all striving to help each other become better and to find a better way of life and a happier life and 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 a healthier life. And so, do we want to live as long as we can? Of course we do. But I only want to live as long as I can if I'm healthy. There, if my brain's still functional, my body's still functional. When those things are are done, uh, it's time for me to move on. Yeah, you don't want to end up like. Um... You know, Neo in the Matrix before he got released with <laughs> tubes going in your body and, you know, stuff coming out and stuff coming in. And that's how a lot of us die. In a hospital bed, tubes entering every orifice in our body and we're kept alive by machines and there's electronic beeping in the background. And eventually we look forward to that beeping to stop. So, because that's, <laughs> that's not living. But what got us there? Nine times out of ten, we ate ourselves to death. And, you know, I go back to what I said when we talked about immunity. Um, that, that old axiom, if it didn't grow out of the earth or have fins, feathers, or fur, don't eat it because chances are you're going to do more damage than good if you eat things that don't fit into that category. So I, I brought my lunch. Um, just to show you an example, it's not hard to eat this way. So here's what Ted's eating today. I have a salad here, and that's Fresh kale and beet leaves and some romaine lettuce out of our garden and a chopped up chicken breast and uh, some some cucumbers and some slivered almonds. That's So you've got a variety there of, of good protein, good fats, yeah. and good carbohydrates. Yeah, and then I have a tiny bit. So notice the portion size is small. This is only halfway full of brown rice and some dried cranberries and an apple, and that's my carbohydrates for the day. Awesome. And we know what all this stuff is. We know what brown rice is. We know what an apple is. We know what... A salad with a chicken breast in it is. I don't have anything in here with a bunch of multi-syllabic ingredient lists that I can't pronounce and I have no idea what it is. So if you just read your labels and you find stuff on there you can't pronounce, put it back. Can you pronounce broccoli? <laughs> yes. Can you pronounce rice? Yes. Can you pronounce beans? Sure. You know, when you start getting the monosodium blah, 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 you know, and it's, it's the words this long and it's one thing. Um, no, <laughs> we don't want to do that. Any other comments, Ted, about specifically yes. digestion? Food, food is not food simply by virtue of being something you can put in your mouth and swallow. Okay? Just because you can do that doesn't mean it's food. But that's the understanding most people have. They look at food as anything that is remotely edible. <laughs> that's not the case. Is, is it, does it taste good? I'll do it. Yeah. Okay. Give it to me. Yeah. So, again, eat stuff that grew out of the earth and eat stuff that was once living a short time ago, preferably, um, in terms of your proteins and fats. Well, I'd like to say, first of all, thank you, Ted, for coming sure. on the show. And to our listeners, get checked out. You can have problems and not know about it. And a lot of these problems develop over time. Uh, a lot of the intestinal issues, bloating and reflux tend to be come on to people maybe more in the beginning of their 
their problems or, you know, you tend to get it. If, if you've got those things, you know you already have a problem. The other diseases tend to go on after chronic dysfunction of your of your microbiome or your, your gut flora and eating the wrong types of foods. Seek out a healthcare professional that knows about these things. Preferably Not all nutritionists health. know about these things. They can call themselves nutritionists, but, but you know, if you're making somebody who makes a diet for a hospital, you might, if they do hospital uh, foods, you might want to reconsider. You know, of course, they're under a budget, so those people might argue that, hey, we wouldn't give that to our regular clients. I you don't mean know. Jello's not good? <laughs> they, uh, Come on. Um, but seek out healthcare professionals that know. Um, and there are many of them out there, many uh, chiropractors, naturopaths, uh, acupuncturists, clinical nutritionists. There's a wide variety of them, but when you seek them out, ask about their credentials. I always tell people, never hurts to get a second, even a third opinion on everything, because I've had many things happen in my life where I was glad I did. Eric or Nikki, do you guys have any questions for Ted? I wanted to know what kind of salad dressing you use. <laughs> that's my thing that's like, you know, how do you find a healthy, or do you make it? Uh, typically I make it, and it's... You know, I, I have an advantage of being able to eat the same thing many days in a row. So, and I know a lot of people aren't there, but I'll make a, a salad dressing out of about a half and half mixture of good organic olive oil and balsamic vinegar and maybe some uh, some crushed garlic in it as well if I'm not going to be in close proximity to other people. I will buy paired salad dressings from time to time, but I make sure that they're organic. I, can, I don't see any weird stuff on the label and that I understand everything it's made out of, but Nine times out of ten, I'll just make my own. What about, um, as far as garlic and onions go, sometimes mm -hmm. that'll cause people to have extra bloating. Mm -hmm. What Can you explain that? Those those food compounds are are somewhat caustic, and in a way that's a good thing because microbes that make us sick don't like foods like that. On the other hand, if our intestinal and digestive system is, is out of shape, so to speak, it's not functioning uh, at at optimal levels and maybe our mucous membranes are thinner, um, we'll get irritated by those foods. So when things like that happen, it's not necessarily a food allergy or that, you know, people say, oh, you know, onions don't agree with me. Um, no, you don't agree with the onions. It's the opposite. The problem typically is there's um, thinning of the mucous membranes. And so when you eat something that has um, some volatile chemistry in it, in other words, it burns a little bit, and it can burn you, but if you have nice, healthy mucous membranes, you can eat things like onions and garlic, and they don't typically cause any problems. So the fact that they do is indicative that there's some some uh, reconstruction work that needs to be done in the gut system so that you can tolerate those things again. What, that, and, that brings up a point sure. um, that made me think something we didn't discuss, and that's allergies that are, come from dysfunction of the gut. A yeah. lot of allergies come from dysfunction of the gut. They do. They do. And and I even experienced this myself in the past when I had some gut problems. The list of foods I could not eat kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, And I thought, this is no way to live. That's There's nothing wrong with these foods. It's it's my gut that's the problem. And you know, it's, it's human nature to go, no, it's not my fault. It's the food. The food's <laughs> bad. Not always. Um, so, yes, that, that has to be addressed from time to time. And food allergies, to define what that is, is what that generally means is you have a permeable or leaky gut and food that has not been completely processed has gotten through that permeable gut wall into the body cavity. And then the body recognizes that as an antigen. An antigen is anything that causes an allergic reaction and says, hey, we've got this substance that is existing in a place it shouldn't be, sorry about that, and we've got to do something about it. And so next time you eat that, let's say it's shrimp, and some shrimp gets through the intestinal wall into the abdominal cavity, and 
immune cells look at that and go, eh, we shouldn't have shrimp here. Destroy that. Then you sensitize the immune system and it goes on alert. So next time you eat shrimp, it goes, oh, it's the shrimp again. Get rid of it. You have what would commonly be called an allergic reaction. There's nothing wrong with the shrimp. It's your gut system that needs so, to be fixed. So if your system was normal, it would digest it, go through, and, and be broken down small enough to, to be utilized in the body. But in this instance, bits and pieces of it get through. That's and, it, exactly. And, and then the body reacts to it, and so therefore I have this allergy, allergy to this substance or food. Yeah. Now, I use shrimp as an example. There are some people that are truly genetically allergic to shellfish. I'm not saying, hey, go out and eat some shrimp. Yeah. It's, it's, it's your gut, not the shrimp. No, it So you can, need to differentiate be. between a genetic problem and, and an actual problem caused from dysfunction R of the gut. Right, and that goes back to what you said about going to a qualified clinician that can make the examination to determine, hey, is this leaky gut or is this a, a true blue food allergy? And, you know, I, I forgot to ask, is anyone else in your family that can't eat shrimp? Yeah, it killed my sister, so <laughs> no one in my family can eat <laughs> shrimp. Understand? Yeah, so you got to differentiate, but that's why. Why? Yeah, you if you, if you stick doctor. it on your tongue and you have a reaction, that might be more genetic than it is. A, yes, exactly. Um, exactly. So you said you had issues with your gut before, and yeah. what did you do to um, reverse it? First and foremost was adding more hydrochloric acid so that I didn't allow any more pathogenic bacteria to get past my stomach into my intestinal system. And then I took different types of herbs that had um, what we'll call a caustic nature to them that uh, bad bacteria don't like. And... Uh, that took care of the bad guys, and then I had to recondition my gut and bring it back up to the proper acidity levels by taking um, different forms of probiotics and yeasts and things of that nature that reacidify the gut. Now, we're so used to hearing acid bad, alkaline good. It depends on what part of your anatomy you're talking about. In the, in, in the stomach and in the intestinal system, there needs to be a relatively high degree of acidity, higher in the stomach than anywhere else, of course, but the small intestine and the large intestine also need to be acidic because that's an environment that promotes the growth of your own good probiotic bacteria. If your gut is alkaline, then the bad guys like an alkaline environment. So that sends out the red carpet to them to come in and then you get things like diverticulitis and ulcerative colitis, et cetera, et cetera. So to simplify, I had to reacidify my gut. And the primary way you do that is by taking probiotic bacteria because they create that lactic acid. But if your gut's really alkaline and it's all messed up, you can take all the probiotics you want and they're gonna look around and go, ah, I don't like this neighborhood. There's massage parlors and crack houses and meth labs. I'm out of here. They leave. So. You have to condition the gut to be a hospitable place for those uh, probiotic bacteria before you start gobbling them down. Then they'll stay and start exerting their beneficial properties. So it's kind of a, it's like buying an old beat up house and you have to refurbish it. Um, you don't move in before you fix it all up. And you call a specialist and try not to diagnose it yourself. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. You mentioned collagen. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you deal with as well to help with the well, intestinal permeability? What we do at, at Standard Process, our ideology is why does the body have a particular problem? What was it lacking that contributed to this problem? So when we talk about collagen specifically, collagen is synthesized or made from various components of vitamin C. So everybody pretty much knows what scurvy is. Scurvy is a degeneration of the tissue of the body because of breakdown of the collagen. So 
you know, someone might say, well, then you should just take more collagen. It doesn't exactly work that way because you can't guarantee the body is going to utilize it and send it where it needs to go. So then you have to ask yourself, well, how is collagen made? It's synthesized from vitamin C. So when we have patients that are showing signs of collagen degradation, they have more wrinkles than they should for their age. They have ulcerative conditions. Um, their skin is, is not um, smooth and pliable. It's wrinkly. It, stays together when you pinch it, all these different things that indicate there's a lack of collagen. When we put those patients on whole food vitamin C and the body starts producing collagen again, then we find the problems rectify. But when you give someone collagen, like a powdered collagen as a supplement, problem with collagen is, is, you know, kind of like the rebar in concrete, it's really hard to digest. That's one of our densest proteins. And unless that person's digestion is, you know, running on all eight cylinders and they have hydro enough hydrochloric acid in their stomach to digest nails, they're, <laughs> they're not going to make good use of that collagen. In fact, they probably won't be able to break it down at all. You need a lot of pepsin to metabolize collagen and that comes from the pancreas. So if the pancreas is thrash and the person eating sugar all the time, you're not going to be able to make enough of the enzymes to utilize the collagen, so it's really a waste of money. Take mm -hmm. vitamin C. Yeah, I've yeah. noticed they've come out with collagen protein powders now. Yeah, you yeah. see that everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's, the, it's the latest thing. you would thing. say those are not good. You know, it, it depends. There are, we used to use the term pre-digested proteins back in the bodybuilding days, and that was, all that means is that the, the amino acid chains have been chemically chopped up into smaller segments so they're easier to metabolize. Now, sometimes they do that with collagen. And uh, the term they use now is hydrolyzed, hydrolyzed collagen, hydrolyzed protein. That means it's been separated into those smaller dientripeptides instead so of the long So it has been broken chains. down. Right. But, you know, the question still is, you know, can your body utilize it? That's open to debate. Some people will be able to, some people can't. But everyone makes collagen from vitamin C. What are the best powdered proteins? You I, wanna... I personally like the vegetable proteins. I think those are easiest to digest, but it depends you on what me. you're trying to accomplish. Um, like like we talked about earlier, it's good to get a variety of proteins. So if you're going to take a protein supplement, there are great vegetarian proteins on the market now. I would not recommend soy protein um, for a whole bunch of reasons we won't get into now. But there's pea protein, there's rice protein, there's protein from pumpkin seeds. There's all different kinds of vegetable proteins, and the combination of them kind of approximates the amino acids you'd get from animal proteins, which we weren't able to do before. Now we can. So you combine those and. And it's pretty much equal to a yeah. animal protein. Yeah, more or less. And then you have whey proteins, um, which are typically your animal-based proteins or your milk-based proteins. If you're going to use whey protein, you want to use a process or use a protein that's gone through a process called cross-flow microfiltration. Um, ion exchange used to be the big processing for protein. Oh, God, what was the name of the protein they had out that was ion exchange? I forgot what it was called, but it was very, very popular for a while. In any case, that's an okay method, but... In the processing, you still denature some of those protein molecules. When you denature them, you change the shape, and then they can't be metabolized in the tissues. So some of it, it's like you're just throwing it away. Cross-flow microfiltered protein is a cold process that doesn't denature the protein molecules, and it yields a much higher level of usable product. So if you have a, one of those big, giant, you know, eight-pound tubs of protein, and you look on it, and it's ion exchange or some other method of extraction, um, you're probably going to be able to use about... 30 to 50% of the volume of the protein that's in that canister. If you're using Half of a, it's just going to go out of your body and not exactly. be taken in. You're going to have high-protein poo. Um, <laughs> so Expensive. With, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the cross-flow microfiltration, you utilize a, a much greater extent of the product. And, and all of your really good doctor lines, if they make a protein, they generally use that method. We do, Metagenics does, several other companies do. So, you know, it's not just a matter of supplementing the protein. You have to supplement with a 
quality protein. And mm -hmm. what determines the quality of the protein is, is the methodology of extraction they use and how little of the product it actually destroys in the process of extracting it from whatever substrate they're taking it out of. Great. So you said uh, vegetable protein. Are you talking about the pea protein or something else? Yeah, that he brought up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I eat the pea protein, my belly gets like bloated. So I don't do well with that one for whatever reason. Probably got problems. Well, a lot, a lot of people have um, issues yeah, with pea protein. Yeah, there's a signal there. Right? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people have problems with Yeah, that? that's, that's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, I do better with the whey protein for whatever reason. Yeah, and that just that just may be your biochemical individuality. Uh, we all have that. Um, there's there's no such thing Meaning as something that's good for everybody. Genetic related. That's just kind of natural. What you're, it may yeah. not necessarily well, mean that there's a problem with her gut. Yeah, as, as, as a for instance, um, they talk about uh, indigenous diets from time to time. What does that mean? Well, you look at your genetic background. Um, if you're Northern European like I am, I'm, I'm Scottish, English, and German. I do fine with dairy products. That's been a traditional part of those people's diets for thousands of years. You get people that are closer to the equator um, and, you know, from their, their indigenous culture, not that they're part of it now, but it's, it's, it's in their blood, it's their, their family line, it's their genetics. Um, not big dairy product consumers, not big milk drinkers. Um, they may have problems with that. And, you know, it's, it's not suited to their genotype. And it can be that way with different types of vegetables too. Depending on what your background is, you may have difficulty assimilating things all your friends can consume just fine, but but you can't. And if it's just one or two things, you know, that's you know, and that kind of a thumbnail sketch here, that's probably a, a genetic issue or an issue of your ethnic background. But if you're allergic to a or you respond that way to a growing list of things, then yeah, it's time to look at your gut physiology and find out what's going on. So so it really comes down to Evaluating your health and yeah. seeing seeing a healthcare professional that knows that can test and figure out, okay, this is something just normal for you or there's more going on. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks so much, Ted, for being on the show. It's yeah. been great. Again, we'll probably have you back again in the future. Okay. Um, Thanks for having and, me. Uh, Always fun. It's been a great, great one. Other Thank great you, one. Dr. Kell. Appreciate it. While we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we are still learning. We will double check all facts, but realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and art. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another. We are simply presenting our views on how to live a healthy lifestyle that will be as evidence-based as possible. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. We take no money from drug or device companies. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Kel Fullerton or any guests or any contributors to the podcast or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Dr. Kel Fullerton be responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast. This blog should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis of expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. Our website, blog, and podcasts are all HIPAA compliant. While you may give your email address to subscribe to the website posts or to post information on the website blog, we will never share your email address or contact information with any third parties without your explicit permission. The contents of Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast and the show notes are all copyrighted. All blog posts, 
podcasts and show notes that are distributed to the public for free can be redistributed via hard copy or electronic copy for free only if Health Talk with Dr. Kell is included as the acknowledged author within the actual media that is being redistributed. The Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast is a production of the Orange Stack with executive producers Dr. Kell Fullerton and Eric Hammond and host Nikki Sterling. Mm-hmm.